Accountants in general, we are not the most creative people. Most accountants are rule followers. And so I think a lot of people see their job as just reporting numbers, right? You give me the numbers, I put it on the form, I make sure I'm calculating, but that's not how you save taxes, right? To save taxes, you, you have to plan ahead. What type of property should I buy? What kind of entity should it be in? How do I make sure I can use the losses against my you know W-2 or other business income? Before you have a large transaction on an acquisition or a sale, reach out to them and say, hey, let's talk. I just want to tell you what my plans are, are this year, what I want to do for investing, what I'm doing for my business. And it's just from those conversations, they should be able to help you with some planning. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, I'm excited about this. I've heard of uh, her for a long time. Her name is Amanda Hahn. She is a CPA, a nationally recognized tax strategist and top-selling author. She is the managing director at Keystone CPA, Inc., a firm that specializes in proactive tax planning for real estate investors nationwide. She's been featured on prominent publications like Money Magazine, Talks at Google, NBC News Radio, Bigger Pockets, Forbes, Many others, also a member of the Gobunas Women's Community. Amanda, it's uh, it's exciting to have you. I am so excited to be here and talk uh, about taxes with you. Well, you literally wrote the book on tax strategy. And then as if that wasn't enough, you had to go and write the book on advanced tax strategy. <laughs> so we're going to get a lot out of this, I think. Yeah, you got to give the people what they want. You know, we wrote the first book and there was uh, people just wanted more. So we said, well, how <laughs> how do we give them more? Um, so give them a little bit more of an advanced topic um, and, you know, see where we go from there. You ever consider expanding the franchise to like Generation X or like the illest tax strategies or something <laughs> like that? Just to, you know, same <laughs> same content. You could change it a little bit like yo instead of hi or whatever, but. Right. Yeah. For different audiences. Right. <laughs> so before you became you're, you're on the Forbes Council and you know, talks at Google and NBC News Radio, all the stuff about tax strategy. I, 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 did you grow up dreaming of one day being one of the foremost experts on tax strategy in the country? Or was this something that kind of came on? Give us that story. How did you become who you are today? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I actually did always dream of becoming an accountant, um, as shocking as it is for people to hear, because I don't think a lot of people <laughs> grow up that way. Um, but my mom was an accountant and, um, you know, one of my uncles was an accountant. And uh, I just, yeah, just always thought that's something that I would do. I was always good at math and I really like numbers. Um, but real estate was something that came much, much later. I started uh, my career at one of the big four accounting firms. So I was uh, doing tax returns and, and tax strategies for, um, you know, some of the super wealthy, uh, you know, individuals and companies. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, never thought I would do real estate myself. You know, it was more of just, I was a CPA for other people who invested in real estate. And it wasn't until I read the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book when I started to realize like, hey, maybe I can do it too. You know, this why not me uh, started floating around in my mind. What? How many clients do you recall? Like how many of your clients were real estate investing or real estate investors when you made that decision? Like, were you, was it intriguing you looking like, oh, wow, that's interesting that they do this. And I see with the impact on their taxes, but I'm not enough. Is that kind of what the thought was until you read the book? Or was it more, I just don't truly understand it. I'm just kind of curious what that pivot was. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm actually third generation of real estate investors in my family. So my grandparents were real estate investors. My parents also um, invested in real estate. Um, but they were kind of like the traditional real estate investors. Like, for example, I grew up and lived in the same community where my grandparents owned the condos. So I would go with them to like pick up rent checks, deal with tenants, you know, do like the turnover stuff painting. So it just wasn't something that I wanted to do. You know, I just, it wasn't like a glamorous um, view, right? So um, yeah, I just wanted a corporate job. You know, that's what I did. I, I helped other people save on taxes and just never thought about why I should invest in real estate. Um, and I think the book kind of opened up my eyes. I started looking at my job differently. I started to see, you know, the clients is like, oh, wow, this is someone who made a ton of money, but didn't pay taxes. So, so it was more kind of putting that personal benefit to the job I was doing versus just 
you know, I think a lot of accountants, we just, we see the numbers, right? <laughs> this plus this minus this and kind of get to the end. Um, so I think that was the book really helped to shift my mind frame and how I, I looked at investing in wealth building. What did you start with? First real estate investment, were you passive? Did you buy a duplex like your grandparents there, a condo? Or what did that look like? The first deal, if you will. Yeah, it's so funny. So I took the exact opposite of what my my grandparents did. Like, like I said, we lived we lived in the same complex as the tenants, right? We were like the landlord's kids or grandkids. <laughs> um, the first property my husband and I bought was out of state. Never looked at the property. Um, at the time, it was just, you know, you see listings online, couple pictures and stuff. So, uh, yeah, bought a property sight and seeing. Um, but, you know, of course, being accountants, my husband is also an accountant. Um, we ran the numbers um, and, you know, because the numbers worked out, we just kind of pulled the trigger and, and did it. What? Uh, how far out of, was it, was it fairly local, drivable to you or was it was it kind of like you got to hop a flight and get there? Oh, uh, drivable. So I'm in Southern California. Um, the, our first property was in Las Vegas, which is where I grew up. So I'm, I'm very familiar. So even sure. though it's out of state, it wasn't like, you know, somewhere super far. So I did know the area. Um, you know, I could drive there for four hours. But, you know, it's so interesting. Actually, even today, um, I think we've probably gone to that property like once or twice. <laughs> Just yeah. to, you know, drive by and check it out. Um, but yeah, it just kind of took a whole different, you know, I realized I didn't want to be, you know, boots on the ground um, and be like that very hands-on landlord. So very different than how I grew up. Sure. When was that? What what year do you recall? Gosh, 2007, 2008. Oh, right um, in the, so did, <laughs> right the in the best right shopping the... time, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, where funny. were you on that? Were you on the front end of it? Did you buy at the peak or were you right after? Uh, what did that look like? Yeah, I bought kind of as prices were going down. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, when people started to shy away from real estate, yeah. we were like, well, this is a great time to buy. And, um, it, it, you know, I, I think at the time it was kind of scary, right? Because when you see other people running away from real estate and you're out there, you know, making offers and, and acquiring stuff, it was um, scary, especially for me as a newbie investor at the time. But, um, you know, now looking back, it's like, man, I wish I would have bought tons of property yeah. at yeah. that price. It's like the biggest regret. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Did you continue to expand there? Did you just kind of do that one deal and then find another market? Yeah, I mean, most even today, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we're, uh, you know, a little bit more involved on in our uh, mostly in, in that Las Vegas area. Um, we've also done a lot of passive investments as well, um, just, you know, because, uh, you know, we have a lot of clients who syndicate deals. And I am, for me, I think it's a really great way to leverage other people's experience and their time, um, you know, to help build wealth where, you know, because I don't really myself want to be super active. Yeah. Makes sense. When did bigger pockets come in? I feel like that was sort of the beginnings of you as a brand. Tell me if I'm wrong on that, but I feel like bigger pockets was sort of the entry of where you started to get some notoriety or, or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, become somewhat known. You were, I don't know if you were yeah. blogging or just in the, in the chat rooms or whatever, but kind of give me that <laughs> ascension. What did that look yeah. like? So, um, Actually, my uh, by the time I think when Bigger Pockets reached out to me it was because they saw me speak. Um, I was doing a lot of speaking for um, uh, people who were in the apartment space. So back then, you know, Dave Lindahl and some of these other people were holding these large real estate conferences, and um, so my husband and I did a lot of educational content for them. Um, locally, we did a lot of speaking as well, which um, I think could be the reason uh, why I reached out. But yeah, the funniest story is I, I didn't know what Bigger Pockets was. Um, you know, podcasting wasn't like a huge thing. They just sure. asked for you know me to do something. So um, I did my interview with uh, Josh and Brandon at the time and just never thought about it again. And I think, you know, as the year went on, the years went on, um, a lot of people who were contacting us said, oh, I heard you from Bigger Pockets. So I thought, well, maybe I should check this out. <laughs> What's Bigger Pockets all about? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What was the, so what was, how did you get to the book? Like, how did that come about? Like, what did you start doing to become sort of connected to bigger pockets in the way that you were? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, actually uh, it was at the time uh, Brandon Turner was, um, you know, from being on the podcast, then he later became a client of mine. And, you know, we're always talking about taxes and, you know, mistakes and things like that. And he said, you know, you really should uh, write a book. 
Um, and it was kind of the same thing, like, you know, I don't know, I'm not an author, right? Right, like, right. I'm a CPA. What am I going to write about? So kind of put on the back burner. And um, uh, there was a, a time my husband and I went on a cruise and um, brought some tax books with us because that's what CPAs do. Like we read tax books when we're on cruises. <laughs> wow. You are on purpose. You're in your purpose. So that's yeah, that's good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, and it was just, you know, it was just really super boring, I think, for me to read book after book about taxes. And I just had this thought come across like, wow, if, if it's boring for me as a CPA who does taxes, how would an everyday investor um, get any benefit out of some of these, you know, supposedly real estate tax books. So, um, you know, we just started writing an outline like, okay, well, let's do it in a story format. Let's share success stories and nightmare stories on what happens when our clients are doing things right, right? How can they save taxes? And um, yeah, and that was it. I kind of, you know, after the cruise, I, I think I just emailed my table of contents to Josh and Brandon and they, they said, yeah, this looks good. Got it. Yeah, that's got how it. I got started. Rest is history until we have the Gen X book that comes out here in the next couple of months, hopefully. So yes, and I'm um, gonna say yes. I'm gonna say you're the inspiration for that. Got it. Got it. I'll take a ten percent royalty. That's all I need. <laughs> um, tr- fact or fiction? I guess in this regard, and I think I know the answer, but it's extremely important if somebody's investing in real estate to hire a CPA who is also investing in real estate. Fact or fiction? Um, for me, I feel like it's a fact because real estate investors um, have a very different lingo that we use and different types of transactions, right? I mean, the term real estate investing is, is sort of generic, but there's all different types of investors, you know, midterm rentals, long-term self-storage, mobile home, syndicators versus passive. So even within real estate itself, there are so many different strategies depending on what investment strategy you're using. So for, you know, someone to be working with an advisor who also does investing, um, a lot of times they're looking at the whole transaction, you know, not just is this a good tax decision, but also is this a good investment decision, right? Mm. And if you're not in real estate, you might not be able to look at all of the details of that. That makes sense. What is it? I'm assuming you've had clients come to you that maybe came from uh, you know more of a run of the mill I'll call it CPA my words not yours but somebody who maybe isn't specialized in the real estate space or investing in real estate or whatever what are what are are there like two or three common issues pitfalls mistakes that you see made by non real estate focused CPAs when you intake a new client or you know like cuz in, in my mind like look I invest in real estate I have a a, a CPA who owns a real estate tax accounting firm right so I, I I agree with you I think it's fact like I'd rather have somebody that speaks the lingo it's like I'm I'd rather take parenting advice from parents right like the <laughs> same sort of thing um but I'm curious like you know the IRS code is I know it's huge and everything and an accountant to some extent is an accountant like it's their job to understand it but where do you see the mistakes being made most commonly in prior returns files strategies in place or whatever if they're if the prior CPA was not say an investor or focused on investors yeah I mean there's so many uh unfortunately there's so many mistakes that I see time and time again um I just got off a call with someone who was um supposedly a real estate CPA right before talking to you I was I was personally a little bit shocked by um some of the things that they didn't know but I think if I had to pinpoint to like one thing um that someone might not really know if they don't work with investors a lot is the whole concept of cost segregation so, you know, our ability to to as investors to not just take depreciation on a building over 27 and a half years, but we get to accelerate that. And so when you hear people talk about, oh, I got a you know a rental property and it wiped out my taxable income, a lot of times they're using this strategy where the IRS allows us to write off a big chunk in the initial years of investing. And um uh, very frequently I have to talk to other CPAs who are are not aware of this, or even when they become aware of it, they feel like there's something wrong with it, you know, almost like it's illegal, or it's something that you just cannot do. 
Um, so, so yeah, that's something that I see a lot, you know, not only like people don't know it. Cause I think if you think about it, it almost seems illegal, you know, almost seems like, why am I allowed to do that? How come I can write off, you know, so much, right? I didn't lose the money. Um, so I can understand the thought process behind why they're, you know, um, like maybe not comfortable with it, but I think that's one mistake we see time and time again. And I always, um, you know, I had someone recently, a friend of mine, who's, whose dad is a real estate investor, uh, for decades. And, you know, just as a courtesy, I said, let me take a look at your return. We'll see what's going on. And same thing, you know, commercial, lots of commercial property uh, never took accelerated depreciation. So um, he went back and talked to the CPA and said, why didn't I do this? You know, Um, or he said, can I do this? Can I do accelerated depreciation? And then the CPA's response was, sure, why not? (laughs) I said, well, what do you mean you didn't tell me all these years? Why is that? Why would a CPA not? Do you, I mean, that's got to be sort of a, a, there's probably a segment of the, of the industry that's that way. Is it just like, look, I'm here to file returns. You tell me what to do. I do it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a monkey see monkey do kind of, is that it? Is there sort of like a, a mindset around it that like, you know, don't, don't, don't advise. Cause then you get in trouble. Like w- w- what's the deal? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I think no, no one has asked me that question. So I'm glad I'm glad that you're posing it. Um, I think that's true. You know, um, CPAs or accountants in general, right? We are not the most creative people. Most accountants are rule followers. Um, and so I think a lot of people see their job as just reporting numbers, right? You give me the numbers, I put it on the form, I make sure I'm calculating again, additions, subtractions, you know, I'm doing it correctly. Um, but that's not how you save taxes, right? To save taxes, you you have to plan ahead. Uh, what type of property should I buy? What kind of entity should it be in? How do I make sure I can use the losses against my, you know, W-2 or other business income? Um, so I think that unfortunately is, is just something missed, you know, like coming through the ranks when you go to school, people aren't teaching you, you know, how to be strategic, um, how to spend the time planning. And I think part of that too, is the, as a profession, um, our profession is so deadline driven. And so a lot of times, the only time you talk to a client is tax deadline. And that's the time when you just have so many things going on that you're maybe not thinking, you know, what can I do to help somebody save taxes in the coming year? So, so one thing I always encourage investors to do is to be proactive and reach out to your tax person. And I don't mean like March and April, right? You're going to talk to them anyway, but after the deadline or before you have a large transaction on an acquisition or a sale, reach out to them and say, Hey, let's talk. I just want to tell you what my plans are, are this year what I want to do for investing, what I'm doing for my business. And it's just from those conversations that they should be able to help you with some planning. Mm. Okay. Makes sense. It's funny. One of the guys on the, on the men's side, a good friend of mine is a cost seg engineer. And I'm amazed at how many times I go to an event, a conference for GoBundance, and I'll talk to somebody that has, you know, I, I think, I think they may even understand the concept for like, Oh, that's for, that's for big apartment buildings or whatever mm-hmm. cost seg but they got an $800,000 short-term rental and they don't really think of it in those terms. And to your point, they're like, wait, can I not, not maybe to the point of like, is that even legal? But like, are you sure that's doable when somebody comes to you with that, like all the way up to, is that legal? How do you explain that it is? You know what I mean? Like what, what, what settles the mind? It's, I mean, I, I understand that you can cite the code, but what tends to settle somebody on, Oh, okay. So it's not, it's not this perfect thing. I mean, are you just talking about like recapture on the back? Like, how do you get somebody on board with it? Um, I mean, if it's a CPA that I'm talking to, right, which I, I talk well, to other sure. people yeah. as, as well, um, usually it's just looking at the code, right? Because that, that's what most accountants we want to see. Like if someone gave me, someone brought me a creative strategy, I would want to know, like, how do we arrive at the fact that we can do this? So that that's pretty easy to do. Um, I think for investors, is it's just giving them the facts. Um, I think you're exactly right. Very, very frequently people will say, hey, I don't, cost segregation is not for me because I am not, um, you know, I, I don't invest in multifamily or commercial property. Um, but especially now with bonus depreciation, um, we are seeing huge benefits for properties as low as two, three hundred thousand dollars. Right. Mm. And especially if you have a portfolio of several different smaller properties, um, the benefit of it really adds up you know, in a, in a given year and can be very powerful. So it's interesting you say that because I also hear the same things time and time again. Um, I think the other thing that unfortunately happens is 
I'll meet people at, you know, some of these conferences and we talk about cost segregation and they're just absolutely sure that their tax person has already claimed it. Um, but I always tell them, no, I mean, if you did a cost segregation, you know about it. It's not yeah. something that the CPA is just making up on their end, right? Because odds are your CPA is not a uh, an engineer and, and do all that breakout. They're specialists, like your friend, um, yeah. who does that kind of stuff. So sometimes investors are like, oh, yeah, my CPA is a real estate CPA. I'm sure I've already done a cost segregation. What's the after? Uh, well, I guess the first question on this, on the phase out, because we're at 80% this year, right? 2023, as we record this, it's 80% you could take in year one. And I think it's it's phasing down to zero, right? Over the next four mm -hmm. years or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess my this is just your opinion. What's the chances that, that actually happens? Do you think? Do you really think it's going to go all the way to zero? Is it? Is it like? Yeah, there's momentum there. Even if the president changes, or is there enough noise? I, I'm not listening, so maybe you hear enough of a, a pushback, lobbying, or whatever to make that change in some way. Yeah, I mean, is it possible to go back? You know, back to no bonus depreciation. Definitely. You know, I mean, our whole lives, like for me, even you know, investing way back in like. 2008, nine, we just, we never had bonus depreciation. Cost segregations were still super powerful. Um, you know, especially the, the larger, I mean, the higher the purchase price of a property, the more beneficial it is. So I think mm -hmm. even if cost, uh, the bonus depreciation does uh, get phased out to zero, this is still going to be a great strategy that real estate investors use. Um, what's the possibility of, you know, um, that not happening? I think it's also very high. Um, I think it depends a lot on the politics, right? Who's in charge, um, but also on the economy. I mean, the purpose of all these depreciation, accelerate depreciation is to incentivize people to invest, right? Invest money, buy assets. Um, so I think where we are in the economy is going to be a big indicating factor on what happens to the future of bonus depreciation in the coming years. Got it. You made me sweat with a recent post of yours. It said something like uh, it was a Q&A that you did. Um, can I just use my credit card statement to prove to prove my write offs? And you said, uh, no, you you, so you follow me on Instagram, you, huh? You need the receipts. Yeah, yeah. I like to do a little research before I have a guest on. And um, I, I wanted to ask you in the I mean, I get the I get the point, right? Like I take a photo of the receipt store. There's apps that do that all that. I'm just I'm just terrible with that stuff. But anyway, um, the IRS, there's all this talk about 70,000 agents or they're not agents, but employees, 10 years, whatever it is. There's also the defunding movement now, right? Like just go full consumption tax and everything else. <laughs> yeah, we're going this way or this way. Not yeah, sure. yeah, it's, right. It's either, it's we'll either be in the middle. But, but there's momentum, I think, toward the, the hiring of 70,000 agents. And I actually saw somebody recently say, um, somewhere and you know, it's on the internet, so it must be true kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, they've sure. already hired them. They already have an outside firm. They're already hiring these people or whatever. There's others that say like, come on, the government doesn't have to hire 70,000. The government's always in its own way. It's always bumping into itself. Like there's no way they're going to execute on that. What does this look like I, from your perspective? Again, I know that you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're not promising anything to anybody in, in answering this, but just when you hear they're going to hire 70,000 people, how, I don't want to say how seriously do you take it, but what's your perspective? Is this real? Yeah. Should people be worried right now? Like go back and dot every I and cross every T on every return, go back and modify returns, do everything you got to do. Like they're coming for you. Or is it just like, it's great political fodder that the rich are going to get their reckoning because the IRS is going to be ramped up by this many people. Where are we, Amanda? Help me. Where oh my are we? Do you have two hours for me to talk about this? Because I'll tell you what I think. Much as you need. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But go for it. Um. So, you know, one thing is, you know, if they, they have the budget to do so, right? Have the budget to hire people. Practically, what does that look like? Um, and I'll tell you, uh, graduating from college, uh, if you're top of your class, um, your goal is not to work for the IRS. Okay, <laughs> your goal is to work in one of the big four, right? Is you want to be with the yeah. top of that—that's the cream of the crop. So, um, and even then, for for me as a firm owner, you know, our firm has grown tremendously. Very difficult uh, to hire people to come work 
uh, for us, right? Mm. And um, so I think there is a hurdle in terms of how quickly they can hire people to start working there. And then from there, there's a training process. Again, people who are experienced, people like myself, I'm not dying to work for the IRS, right? I'm not just going to shut down shop and be like, let me you know, go over here. Um, so to find people who are strategic, who are really well-versed in the law to represent the IRS is going to be difficult. So then you're thinking maybe they're going to train these new hires to kind of get to that level. So there's the lag in, in, in you know, when they'll have the capability to do all that stuff. Um, you know, I mean, not to say that it means we shouldn't uh, document all of our positions. We should still definitely do that. But it's not as scary as I think some accountants make it out to be. And, you know, we, uh, fortunately for us, we we don't have a lot of audits go through our uh, our office, like the tax returns we work on. But for the ones who do, I have to say, IRS auditors, they are nice, normal people. Um, so I really, you know, I really don't like it when CPAs are out there talking about crazy IRS stories and, you know, they're like basically like the SWAT team. That has never been my experience. You know, I mean, they're doing a job just like how we're doing a job and, and they're very reasonable people too. So I think for any investor, just because, you know, they now have billions of dollars for IRS funding, it doesn't mean we run away and stop claiming expenses. We stop claiming our home office, right? That's the most ridiculous one. People are always like, oh my gosh, you'll be audited because you have a home office. So um, don't fall victim to that kind of scare tactic mentality. It's good marketing. No, it is for a good CPA, marketing. You know? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I read some of these things from other accountants and I get scared. You know, I get sweaty too. I'm like, is this true? <laughs> but it just hasn't been my experience, you know? When you first said about like top graduates not looking to go work for the IRS, like all I had, <laughs> what was the guy, uh, uh, Chris Farley played him, uh, a van down by the river. Like a bunch of those folks, like bottom of the accounting class are going to be running through, you know, IRS jobs and taking us down. Oh boy, that's scary when you say it that way. That's what hit me like, oh wow, they they do have to hire like the opposite of the cream of the crop if they're actually going to hire. Because like you said, who's who's going to, right? I don't know. Like no one's running for those jobs. There's so much more. If you have any sense of you, there's any, there's so much more uh, about you, I should say, there's so much more opportunity, you know, in the private sector, doing what you're doing, working with clients, right? So right, right. A it's a lot point. more of a rewarding job, I would say, than working for the IRS, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you're right about the vilifying too. Like, yeah, I mean, it does, it scares you a little bit. What's what's wrong with the concept of defunding and a, consu a consumption tax makes sense to me on, on the, just like flat tax. It always was like, it's easy. Everyone pays X, right? Like the more I consume, the more I pay. I get it, right? Like what's the problem with that from your perspective? Well, I mean, so the whole the whole purpose of the, the IRS code section is really to incentivize us to do certain things, right? So as real estate investors, we're providing housing. So we get write-offs, we get depreciation and all that stuff. And so if we take that away, then you're taking away some of the power of the government to try to incentivize us to do specific things. Mm. Like then we'll no longer have solar credit. So what if government wants us to have electric vehicles or put solar in our homes, then, well, now there's not really a way to incentivize that because we don't have an income tax to offset. So if we're taxing people on consumption, then I imagine Imagine how do you avoid that? You just have less consumption, right? Less consumption and, and maybe the result is the economy is not doing as well. So I think, like you said, politically, it's a, it's a good talking point. Um, but practically speaking, it's, you know, just not something that um, has worked in terms of our taxing system. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it's funny, I did a post on that, right, about abolish the IRS and yeah. um, on my on my Instagram. <laughs> and somebody said, yeah, great. Well, that means you won't have a job anymore. And I was like, you know, if, if that's really the the worst part that comes out of it, I think that I'm okay with that, you know? <laughs> uh, well, you like you said, you've created a real estate portfolio for yourself, right? So, you you know, you've, you've had the... Look, I just talked to a friend of mine yesterday who works for a company uh, a large company, uh, like a large retail company. And they've made a commitment this year to their learning department. Like this is the year of learning, right? He's in that department. Love and then the 10 top people in that department were just let go yesterday. Like they wiped them out. So like they made a commitment to the learning department. And then these, you know, 22, 25, 30 year employees who have accelerated themselves to the top of this department. That's the focus of the year gone. And he was telling me this guy, you know, his boss is like 
46, 47 years old, 25 years with the company, and now on his ass. He has he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have any prospects. He doesn't own real estate or anything like that. So, you know, you've yeah. made the move to secure yourself. Not that you don't love your career. I always talk about like leaving an unfulfilling career. People mistake that for like you shouldn't have a job. It's like, no, no, no. If you love truly love what you do, go do it. And then, but yeah, you should protect yourself with something on the, on the other side of it. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting you say that because, you know, um, I was talking to a friend as well, who's looking, um, you know, she does private equity stuff and just looking into maybe possibly, you know, earlier, uh, retirement kind of thing. And, um, you know, I started thinking like, you know, how come I don't think about retirement? You know, I, I, I could stop working tomorrow too. Right. But, um, it was just the conversation. I started to realize, like you said, you know, if it's something that you're passionate about and you, you love doing it, um, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with continuing to do it, but at the same time, having that passive income, you know, the portfolio income that's coming in for you. When we started investing in real estate many years ago, it was shortly after my dad, uh, my dad, who was like, you know, very young, he was like in his early fifties at the time, he just had a massive stroke. So mm. I had to do uh, a lot to kind of help care for him. Um, and I really, um, you know, felt that importance, right? Like, you have a job, you can't really be taking care of your dad, you know, at the same time, right? They don't, those two don't really work. Um, and so we just never know who's going to get sick or who might need anything. So that's why I think it's so important to always work, you know, making, making sure our money's working for us. Is, um, is your dad still with us? If you don't mind me asking. No, he passed, he passed. away about 10 years ago, but Sorry. you know, I was so, um, I was so happy that I got to spend, you know, he was sick, uh, very sick for about, you know, almost 10 years. And so I was really um, fortunate, right, that I was able to have my business and have my real estate and be able to spend a good amount of time with him while he was still here. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Those events, are they're, they're always the ones for me, at least, like when you hear of an early passing or a stroke or whatever it might be, it's like, you just don't know. And it's funny on the job thing. I, I think there's, I think the distinction on whether or not, this is me, whether or not it's time to think about walking away is when you are going from alignment with love to defending that you like. And what I mean by that is you spend the most time, I think, job, family, and maybe yourself outside of sleep, right? Job, family, and yourself. And I just think there's a standard for my family and for me that can't be anything less than love. Like, I don't want, I don't want to just like my kids or like my wife. You know what I mean? I want to, I want, I wouldn't be there if it was just liking them, but if the day job, and I hear this from a lot of people who are like kind of exploring this idea of I want to leave my job and they, I, you know, I do a lot of content on that. They, they, they come to me on that. And uh, when I start to kind of ask questions, they go, but, but look, it's not like I don't like what I do. And I'm like, well, that's, that's beautiful. Do you yes. like your wife? Do you like your husband? Right? Like, <laughs> like shouldn't be the standard for you to spend 40, 50 hours a week. If you love right. it, great. Then you shouldn't, you're not talking to me about it. Right. To your point. But the moment that love becomes like, and it could happen, like, it's like anything, like any relationship, like I used to love this, but it's okay. I like it. I'm good at it. I'm kind of in routine. I don't feel, I don't feel uh, uh, like I'm growing as much or whatever. That to me is the standard by which it's time to think about walking away. I don't know. That's just me, but I don't know if that triggers yeah. any thoughts for you, but I'll let you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think I, uh, my husband and I kind of went through something similar. You know, I think like a lot of newer investors, right? This concept of like, I want to quit my job so I can do real estate full time. Yeah. And so we went through a phase of that. And, um, uh, it was, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to do multifamily, right? Like what you do. So like, we're going to do multifamily. We're going to you know go and buy apartments. And, and, you know, we started like having to source deals and start negotiating with sellers. And then we quickly realized we were like, no, you do it. It's like, no, no, you do it. So just kind of, you know, back and forth um, yeah. versus, you know, when we're like talking with clients and doing tax strategies, like we both wanted to do that. And that's yeah. what we thrived off of. So um, I think sometimes it takes you actually trying something to then maybe also realize like, oh, but this, what I'm doing is actually my calling. This is mm. what I was, you know, born to do. That's what I enjoy. So um, yeah, sometimes you just kind of have to try it out because, some, you know, the, the grass is greener on the other side, maybe. Right? <laughs> maybe, yeah. No, you always do. I, I agree. Like that's the thing that we don't give ourselves in our 30s and 40s is the, is the what you would give a 22-year-old advice on. Like, go try things. You got, you, you yeah. know, go, go do things, then you'll figure out what you like. But for some reason, when you're 40 or 35 or 45, it's like, oh, you can't, you're past trying. Like you have to know and know only one thing, it seems, you know? So we talked about receipts uh, as the thing that made me sweat. 
Are there, you know, outside of the, and, and more broadly, I know, you know, you talk about tax strategy versus tax uh, filing, right? Like, you know, you're, it's about strategy, not just filing a return. But are there are there three th- like in tax season right now? People are starting to get ready to kind of pull all this stuff together, get with their accountant, do all of this. Are there two three things, the receipts maybe being one of them, that you see commonly uh, overlooked or missed just generally uh, in this in this time? Like as people are getting ready to file their taxes and move forward, like what are some of the big, I don't know, hiccups, mistakes, landmines yeah. that people trip over? Yeah, um, you know, to the concept of receipts, because I want to make you feel a little bit better and not stress as much, you know, um, so so that was just my Instagram post, right? <laughs> my my post Good. was just, you know, keep, keep, keep the receipts. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, beyond that, of course, the, I mean, as a real estate investor, for example, there are certain things you probably don't have to have the receipts for that are clear cut that it's real estate. So, you know, you are paying to go to the best ever real estate conference, right? Sure. I mean, the credit card shows what exactly what it is. So the receipts are more for things that are, um, you know, could be uh, more detail uh, required. Like if you bought stuff, you have a, a charge from Costco, we don't really know, did you buy diapers for the kids or did you buy paper for your home office? So so things like that, um, maybe hopefully that will make you sweat a little bit less. It does a little bit less. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what I do, honestly, I, I go through, I just, I yeah, hopefully nobody from the IRS watches, but I go through, and this is so how terrible I am with this stuff. I go through the end of the year, the entirety of the transaction volume on my credit card that I use for like business. business? Well, I yeah. say it that way. Like it's, it's just the card that I use to make sure it's all in one spot. I'm literally digging. I'm going to have to not post this episode, but I'll go through and it's like, okay, I know what that is. Yep. Yep. I could, uh, I don't know what that is, or I'm not confident what that is. So skip it, which is terrible. That's where honestly, I'm probably hurting myself more than I'm more than I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know, exposing myself to doing something wrong because I just sort of like, well, it's not worth it. And at the end of it, there's probably thousands of not worth it that if I had saved the receipt, I might've been able to say, oh, actually, you know, this portion of it is something I could have written off. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what the the role of your tax advisor is, right? So you have all these things like you download everything. These are for sure. And there's maybe a handful that are questionable. Um, it could be a quick email, right? Or a quick 10 minute phone call and say, let's go through these, you know, some of the, of course, especially some of the important ones, um, like, you know, a significant dollar amount. Let's make sure we, you know, have clarity on whether something is a business deduction or not. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, so you had asked like about common um, mistakes that, you know, that's one of them, right? So if you as a business owner or real estate investor, if you're not capturing those expenses, your tax person never sees it, right? right. So if you're already saying this is no, not deductible, not deductible, that's the, that's it. Um, and so, because you're sort of that first gatekeeper, um, making sure you track everything, whether it's receipts or just the numbers themselves, make sure you track it because whatever it, you don't track is automatically lost. Yeah. Um, I think um, something else that we see, especially this time of year, is, you know, you just have people who go out and make changes to legal entities um, that maybe don't tell their tax person about. So maybe, you know, formed a new partnership with somebody or invested in somebody's deal. Uh, As the year goes on, if you forget about it, um, sometimes tax returns gets filed. And later on, you realize, oh, I got a K-1 from this syndication that I invested in. Um, So we see this a lot. And that's why we always ask people, like, take your time, you know, go back and think about what your investments were, which ones are we waiting for K-1s or, you know, other documents that might be coming. Mm -hmm. Um, It's little things like that. You know, you file a return and then later on you get some new tax document. You have to go back and file amended return. Um, you know, just a silly thing to be doing that could significantly increase your IRS audit risk. Um, so I always tell people, like, take your time, you know, in doing that. Don't rush through it. Just do you have Do you have the ideally organized client? You're making me feel better that not only am I disorganized, but many others are. But do you have? Is there a client that you would say, "Oh my God, this guy or gal has got their shit together"? Like it is like wow, like lockdown. Do they exist? Yeah, yeah, huh. we do. We, I mean, there's a, a lot of people. I, so I, I meant no. I was hoping Nobody's no. Like, I was like, they're all screwed up sorry. like me. So anyway, yes. go ahead. I'm sorry. All yes, everybody. Yeah, nobody is. <laughs> oh, but what what are, what is the attribute there? Like, I, I mean, is there like common tools? Is it like 
they're militant about Excel or like, I, I'm just curious, like maybe it's not as far a reach as I think it is to become a bit more organized, but like, what do you see? Is it just their personality type that way they were born? Like you could tell I'm there or is yeah. it something that they do tactically? That's like, Oh, actually it's really easy. They just do this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think two things. One is having systems in place, right? So having a system meaning, okay, when I do, when I have expenses, you know, it goes into this bank account, always mm -hmm. using that same card, always using that same ATM um, uh, mm -hmm. debit card to pay for those things. It helps a lot yeah, versus having that. to go through, you know, hundreds of, yeah, like, so you're already there, you're halfway there. <laughs> um, I think the second attribute was just an uh, attribute, which is probably even more important, is just keeping that line of communication open and seeing your tax person as a team member. So, you know, in real estate and in business, we have our team members, right, that we're always talking to or emailing on a weekly basis. Um, and your CPA should be the same. I mean, probably not daily or weekly, no, but whenever you mine. do something. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's, she's really detailed. And I always feel like it's like, you know, I can come with, eh, here you go. Like the piles of whatever. I oh, always feel man. terrible. Every time I email her, it starts with an apology, even though she's probably like, like I got a million clients. I don't really care, but it's always like, here's stuff. Like, what do I do? So anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were saying. Yeah. I mean, but, but that's, Okay, right. The, the goal is not for you to be a CPA. The goal is just for you mm -hmm. to let them know what's going on before you do it. So like I'm buying a another multifamily or, you know, if I'm doing a new syndication and like, you know, what, what, you know, here's where the property is. Here's how we're structuring any comments or feedback. Um, it's just from those simple updates where they're kept in the loop and they can advise you on, you know, what to do or what not to do. But I think you're right. People are afraid or they just don't want to talk to tax people. It's kind of like unpleasant, you know, it's quite unpleasant. Um, but if you are someone who, um, you know, if you have a system in place, you have a good relationship, it, it's not always scary. I, I find it's so funny because now that I'm on social media more, I'm starting to see a lot of my clients, um, on social media and they post a bunch of tax stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I, I also kind of get that cold sweat sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, is this correct? Are, are they saying the right things? Um, but I also love that, you know, it's like they, you know, they like taxes enough to, to talk about it and share what they learned. So. Well, and the ninja trick in there somehow is that by putting that content out there, they're showing movement toward rep status. Right. It's got to be in there. So uh, other than with me, what percentage of your time when you speak to a client or potential client is spent as a therapist? I got to believe it's a huge part of the role. Um, therapist. I don't know. Sometimes. Yeah. Maybe sometimes a, a marriage therapy too. You know, we've seen that where one person's gun ho about doing something. The other person's kind of like very reluctant to do it. Since you mentioned real estate professional, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always yeah. like, how do we convince them to, to really do this instead of just, you know, <laughs> got it. Got it. On the social media stuff for a minute. I'm just kind of curious about that. Cause that is something that's, that's, I, I don't know why, like I'm, I'm a social media guy. I believe, I believe in the power of it. I think it's something that could be leveraged instead of, instead of used, like, you know, people like, Oh my God, I looked at my phone and I was on Instagram for, you know, five hours this week. And it's like, well, but I engage with people, right. It's like, that's a, that's just it, not email there. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a yeah. leverageable asset, if you will. Talk about that for a moment, because I think there's a lot of resistance, especially from people, maybe in maybe our my age, you know, that look at it like, look, I don't want to, I don't want to share my breakfast on on Instagram stories and sure. da 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 da. But like for you, what's the power of it? Why do you use it? Is it something that was reluctant? You were reluctant to do, or did you come around? I'm just give me an idea of your use of social in this day and age. Yeah. Well, I have to say I'm a total newbie when it comes to social media. Just a year ago, I was like, how do I log into my Instagram account? Like, <laughs> I don't, where's my password? Um, so that's how little I, I I used to use it as, you know, even last year. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting because we were talking about IRS hiring people. The reason I started getting on social media was um, I was talking to uh, Brandon Turner and I said, you know, you He's hire not on the social. most- 
He doesn't like social much. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't, yeah. I was like, how do you hire like the most amazing people? You know, I have a very hard time finding people for my firm. And he says, social media. Most of the time people come to you through social media. They 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 know me, they love me, and they want to work with me. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm getting on social media because I want people to um, mm. see how, how cool it is to work at our firm. And so that's how we got started. Um, and uh, I, I really had a lot of fun with it over the last year. I think for me, one of my goals is always to try to bring this very dry, complicated topic into to everyday investor, right? So we kind of accomplished that with the book. But doing it on social media for a tax person is just like another level. Like, how do I make it interesting enough in 15 to 30 seconds? <laughs> so it's always challenge. like my challenge every day, but um, it's also quite rewarding. I think it allows me to be a little bit more creative than, um, you know, what I'm what I'm typically doing, like, you know, nine to five on the tax side. So have you found any employees yet uh, through through social? I have. Yeah. So I've had a lot of um, people uh, contact me, you know, about like, yeah, you know, it looks so cool to work. Uh, looks like it'd be cool to work with you. Um, I've also just um, got to meet a lot of different people that I never thought I would meet, you know, like some celebrities and athletes that follow me and I didn't even know. Um, they'll sometimes like they'll reach out with like, you know, random questions or want to work with us. So definitely been amazing, you know, like just things I didn't know byproduct of being on social media that I wasn't even expecting. Interesting. What's the next phase for you? So is it, you know, I mean, you have your practice, obviously, with Keystone. Uh, I'm a, and we talked a little bit about like, you're, you're happy, you love what you do. And, you know, you're kind of going along with that. And if one day you decide you can, you can just walk away, but as an expansion of the real estate portfolio, do you have, I mean, going into a new economy, are you pausing? I'm just kind of curious what, what's sort of the next 12 months, in, you know, the outlook for you, as you think about it from a, as an investor or as a businesswoman or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's both, you know, we're um, always continuing to grow our firm. So um, yeah, for us, it's kind of hand in hand, you know, we grow our firm, but also with the profit we make, we try to reinvest it and grow our real estate side of things. Um, I think the last probably year and a half, we've been spending more of our time on the business side. Um, and then on the real estate, just doing passive investments. And, you know, so far it's worked out well. Um, so we picked up, you know, a couple single families of our own and, and, and um, a, you know, quite a few syndication stuff. I think that's been a good balance. Um, also because we we have young kids, my husband and I, we have a four-year-old and 11-year-old and they're both into sports. Um, so I think in this coming year, probably just, you know, more of that. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, really fortunate that um, you know, as a real estate CPA, I get to kind of double dip, you know, I get to work with my clients on their planning, but I also get to see their portfolio and see mm -hmm. what's working and not working, um, and really be able to piggyback <laughs> off of that to do our own wealth building. Makes sense. Go abundance women. Talk to me about that. Why, why join what, what it does for you? What's the value for you, if any, of being part of a community like that? Yeah, this is interesting. So I was actually invited to um, speak at a couple of the Women's Go Abundance events. And as a speaker, you know, you get to just kind of hang out for the rest of the, the weekend. Um, and I got to know a lot of the ladies and um, just really hit it off. You know, I think for myself and maybe a lot of people, um, you know, day to day, right? You're just, you know, you're working, you, you know, have you taking care of your family, doing real estate. Um, and it really was an opportunity for me to work on the business, to step mm -hmm. outside of my day to day um, and work on the business with other women who are doing phenomenal things um, with respect to their real estate and, and, and their businesses. So I really just like that connection. Um, and I was kind of going back and forth, like, you know, should I join? Should I not join? I'm so busy already. Um, and, uh, I, I can't remember who told me, but someone was like, you know, you just use, why not, you know, do it for yourself, right? You deserve it. I think sure. was what they said. You deserve it. You deserve to have the time to, um, work on yourself and, you know, and to, to be away from kind of just the daily grind. And I thought, yeah, I deserve it. <laughs> That's funny. I've been, a, so I've been a member on the men's side for four years and I get asked the same question a lot, like, well, you know, uh, what, what if I don't have time? And I, I always say this, like, nobody has time to be part of it. Nobody yeah. that's in it has time to be in it. Right. But exactly. I, I, I look at it more like, um, like buying in the right neighborhood, you know, like I'm not always going, if I, you know, I'm going to buy the house, maybe pay a premium to live in the neighborhood that serves me and my family the best long-term. 
but it doesn't mean that about every backyard barbecue and kid play date. And if you have like a golf course clubhouse, like every eighties trivia night or whatever, like I'm not at all, but there are times when, yeah, it's kind of, there's not much going on. I can engage more. And there are times that I can't engage much, but it's always there. Right. So like in the moments that I need, I can, I can sort of plug in, plug out, you know, get on a call, have a, have a better conversation maybe than somebody I work with or worked with or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, that's how I've always viewed it. Like if, if time can't be the obstacle because it's there's never time. <laughs> right, <laughs> You're always right. gonna be too busy. Kids, job, yeah. you know, career, real estate, just life, you know, it, it you know, travel. It's hard to have time, but it's there for you. That's the investment, in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah. And I think it's always good to, um, you know, for me, I like to uh, be held accountable, you know? So like you said, sometimes you don't have time, but, you know, we'll have a text message with our pod, like, Hey, let's do it. You know, we're all busy, right? It's like, Amanda, you're not the only one busy. Everybody's busy. So we say, yeah, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's wrap on the GoBundance card game question is the nine nine of spades. Spades is the upside down heart, right? The club is the mm-hmm. three circle thing. Anyway, it's the black one. Nine yes, black. I think you're right. I yeah, think I think I'm right. right. <laughs> I don't know. So what's the most you have spent on a gift for someone? And this can't be a write-off. No, I guess it can be. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what's the, mo- the most you spent on a gift for someone? The most I've spent on a gift for someone. Gosh. Oh, it's difficult to say because, I mean, if I buy something with my joint account for my husband, does that consider a gift? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All rules. There's no rules here, accountant. We don't yeah, need we don't need the no perfect rules. spreadsheet. And, and you just go. Yeah, and it's sort of a write-off too. Um, so it was a car. And this is an interesting story. It kind of makes me mad. But when we first we had our first kid, um, we decided we needed a new car. And so we got a new SUV for him. Mm. Um and you know, my friends always make fun of me for that because I think. Uh, you know, normally when you give birth, the mom gets a present, right? It's like called a push present or something. But I got a push. I gave a push present to my husband. A yeah. push present. That's <laughs> awful. Oh, that oh you sounds, haven't heard of that? That sounds term. painful. <laughs> Isn't well, the baby the push why. present? <laughs> that's a guy's. That's a guy's mind. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's probably like the most expensive um, gift, I would say. Was it a, uh, was it like 10,000 pounds or more with 6,000, uh, 6,000, yeah, 6, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. You got that size SUV. I don't even know if that rule was in place 11 years ago, but <sighs> interesting. Well, Hey man, where can people learn more about you? Reach out, whatever it might be, just uh, you know, social media handle, whatever you want to share with folks so they can learn more about you and what you're doing. Yeah. If you want to know more about um, how to use real estate to save on taxes, my website is the best place to check out. We have a lot of great free resources and and tax updates that um, we put there frequently. It's keystonecpa.com. If you just want uh, daily funny tidbits about tax tips and or what I'm eating for lunch, (laughs) um, you can follow me on social media. Uh, I'm typically on Instagram as Amanda Han CPA. And I will say I am sort of famous enough now where I have a few fake accounts. So I was very Uh, excited. Isn't that like, I have, I had three, I think three, (laughs) isn't that like the most, like in a moment you're like, God damn, but pretty cool. (laughs) You're like, you've made it. You've made it. And people want to be fake you. So fake me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Jam Lee Gruber, the L instead of the I I had, there's a, it's crazy yeah. how to do it. So. so yeah, if you're following the right account, just, you know, I'm not going to sell you Bitcoins. I'm not going to ask you for tax return copies yeah. at all via social media. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate you taking the time. Yes. Thank you.